0: What's going on, Liberty 412 folks? Hope you're doing great. This is M.A., and uh, we are starting a new series uh, as we go into the month of December. Um, It's gonna be a two-week series, because on December 20th, we are having our Liberty 412 student uh, Christmas party. It's gonna be an ugly Christmas sweater contest. There's gonna be a white elephant gift exchange. There's gonna be chocolate and hot cocoa and games and food, and it's gonna be a great time. Uh, So from the next two weeks, this week and next week, we're starting a new series called The Reason for the Season. And the reason, obviously, is Jesus, right? Um, We're going to talk about Jesus' birth. We're going to go through uh, the Gospels, really focusing this week in Matthew chapter 1 and Luke chapter 1, where the angel appears to Mary and Joseph. Uh, We're going to see those two different accounts, and we're going to kind of talk about questions of why did God use them and how he used them in a mighty way. And so let's dive right in. Let, let's look first at Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. This is where the angel Gabriel actually appears to Mary and tells her what is to, well, what is about to happen, what is about to come as, as she gets uh, pregnant with Jesus. So starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says this. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth Jesus he will be great and will be called the son of the most high and the Lord God will give him to give him give to him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end and Mary said to the angel how will this be since I am a virgin and the angel answered her the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you So what we see here is this angel coming to Mary, the Virgin Mary, and telling her, hey, you're about to be with child. You're about to uh, have a child, and it's going to be from the Holy Spirit, and you will name him Jesus. Um, And it says that uh, he will be given the throne of David. And so in the Old Testament, what was prophesied is that the Messiah would come from the line of David. And so we see that because of this, because Um, Of Joseph being of the house of David that it fits into the prophecy and the lineage of Jesus that the Old Testament said the Messiah would come from and It says that he will be called the son of the most high and the Lord will give him the throne of David Well, let's uh, let's flip over to back to Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 Let's look at how the angel came to Joseph and let him know what was going to take place and then I got some questions for us as we dive into this but Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 uh, through 25 says, Now the birth of Jesus took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, or engaged to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. And so back in Jewish custom is uh, the man held basically all the rights in the marriage. And, and so uh, if a woman was uh, no longer a virgin or had uh, been um, been unfaithful to the man, he was able to divorce her. And honestly, it was a very public thing where um, there was a lot of shame put on the woman uh, in this case. Uh, and the man was put in, in honor. It was almost like, you know, casting them off. But it says that Joseph, being a man, uh, being a just man and unwilling to put Mary to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. Um, But here's the thing, because he didn't know that how she had gotten pregnant. he He just assumed how any natural man would assume when his fiance is pregnant that she had gone around and been with another man. But it says this, but as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph. he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So what we see here is on two different occasions, not at the same time, angels of the Lord came to Mary and Joseph and let them know what was going to take place. Now, let me ask you this. What what would you think if an angel of the Lord appeared to you? Would you be frightened? It said Mary was, was concerned. She was trying to discern... Uh, what why she was being visited by an angel she was frightful but the angel said do not fear Um, David I mean uh, Joseph he was appeared to it says in a dream so it says when he awoke from his dream Um, and so there's two different things there. but let me ask this what if an angel appeared to you how would you feel about it like what would you think Um, the other thing is you know how do you think Mary and Joseph felt they they're not only being confronted with this angelic being that does not happen to any to everybody every day um, it's definitely a rare thing it was probably a frightening thing but also they're being told big news first Mary's being told hey you're gonna have a child which for a young girl that has never been pregnant uh, that's probably um, mixed emotions they bittersweet and for Joseph a man that has never been married um, he's probably feeling mixed emotions of like my wife is going to have this child and it's not mine. Like, how does this feel? Like we just get a glimpse of the story of Mary and Joseph, but I'm sure like with any humans, they were very confused and had mixed emotions. Maybe it was bittersweet. Maybe they were excited to have a child, but maybe they were also kind of concerned, like what is going on here? Uh, the other question I have is what do you think that they felt pressure? I mean, this was going to be the savior of the world. I mean, think about that for a minute. If you were told you were going to have the savior of the world. Like, would you make sure they ate carrots and bro- you ate carrots and broccoli every day and then when they were born, would you make sure to wrap them in a bubble so nothing would happen to them? You see in Matthew chapter one, verse 21, it says, it says that, um, uh, right here, verse 21, it says in the people, uh, oops, Matthew, I was reading Luke, hold on. Matthew 1, 21, it says she, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. This is literally the savior of the world. And these young, this young Mary and Joseph, and to be honest with you, back in that time, in Jewish time, they were probably 13 or 14 year old. Um, And so they were being told, one, first, they're confronted with an angel. Second, they're being told, hey, you're going to have a child, which is scary in and of itself. And then third, they're going to be told, not only are you going to have a child, but this child is literally going to save the world. And it is your responsibility to raise him. And, and bring him and protect him in this world. So let me ask you this again. Do you think that they felt pressure? Now, here's another question. Why did God choose Mary and Joseph? Was there anything special about Mary and Joseph? Were they wealthy or popular or overly talented? You know, to be honest with you, the scripture doesn't say anything about this. It, it doesn't say that they were, the only thing that really scripture says is that Mary was favored. She had found favor in the eyes of the Lord. But other than that, they weren't wealthy. They weren't overly talented in any way that would make them stand out. They weren't popular in the in the stands of like, oh, if God was going to choose anyone, let, let's choose the most popular people that are out there. No, they were just simple individuals. There's nothing ex- extraordinarily uh, special about them. The only thing it does say is that Joseph was from the house of David, and so he was in that lineage of where uh, Jesus, the Messiah, could have come from. So if there was anything special about him, I would say that that was it. But they weren't the only ones. you got to think that there was, there was many hundreds of years between David and them. And so the line of David, as far as male opportunity goes for the Messiah to be born, was probably way larger than we could ever imagine. It wasn't like it was down to one or two people. And so for him to pick Joseph uh, and Mary, for God to pick Joseph and Mary just seems a little... little odd or interesting like what was special about them now that leads me to another to, to the question I really want to get to is this God chose Mary and Joseph and there wasn't anything very special about them they weren't rich or popular or overly talented so let me ask you this if God could use them in a mighty way if God could use them to bring the Savior of the world into this earth do you think God could use you in a mighty way just like he used Mary and Joseph. See, I think a lot of times, more times than not, we as Christians sit back and we say, yeah, I'm a Christian, but we don't ever think about how God can use us in mighty ways. We want to say, yeah, we'll follow Jesus, we'll do this, but we also probably in the deep recesses of our mind would say, "Ah, I don't think he'll ever use me. I'm I'm nothing special. He can't use me. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not popular. I don't, I don't, I don't speak very good in front of people. How can he use me, really? But the truth of the matter is, is it doesn't matter who you are. God can use you in a mighty way, just like he used Mary and Joseph to literally bring salvation to the world through the birth of Jesus and through them raising him and parenting him. So the real reason I wanted to get to this and and start talking about this is, yes, Jesus is the reason for the season. This is the month in which we really hyper-focus on the birth of Jesus, Um, and what he did for us on Calvary come Easter. And without his birth, man, we wouldn't have salvation. But I really want to focus on Mary and Joseph and what that means for us as ordinary Christians, ordinary people. There's nothing super extraordinary about us, nothing special about us. But yet it says that in Ephesians 2.10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is what is amazing to me about the sovereignty of God, about how in control He is. So Ephesians 2.10 says that we are His workmanship in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I was listening to something just the other day, and it was talking about stars, right? And we talk about light years. And inside our galaxy, every night when you go outside and you look at a star, that light that you see, is possibly thousands of years old because that's how long it takes for that light to travel from that star all the way to us. And so this guy was talking about how amazing that is and the fact that when we get to it, we'll, we'll get to it here in a, in a little while. Um, actually, next week, we're going to talk about the wise men and they saw a star that led them to Jesus. But what is amazing about that is if we talk about the light years in which it takes for that light to hit the star, it means that Jesus... Or that God hung that star in the sky thousands of years before Jesus would be born in order that when the sun hit it and the light reflect reflected in the exact moment in time that Jesus was going to come on the scene, that star would shine. And so it wasn't just a moment thing where he was like, hey, I'm going to do this. He is so sovereignly in control. He is so planned out everything. And Ephesians says, God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So even before Jesus was born, potentially thousands of years before he was born, God hung a star in the sky that would reflect light to come down so that wise men could come and find the Messiah. That just blows my mind, and it shows that God can use anybody and anything for his glory. But the question is, are we open and honest and willing to be used? Do we think that he can actually use us? And I say he can because it says in Ephesians 2.10 that we are created in We are his workmanship, and he created us for a purpose. Psalms 139 says that we are fearfully and wonderfully made. Um, And so he, he has purpose for each and every one of us, just like he did for Mary and Joseph. They weren't the overly popular people. They weren't the overly talented people, but he used them in a mighty way. So again, I ask, do you think God can use you in a mighty way? Isaiah 6, 8 says this, And I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? And whom will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, here I am. Send me. That's the prophet Isaiah saying, I am here. I'm ready to go. And honestly, that is exactly what Mary said at the uh, at the very end of Luke chapter one, where she uh, where she was talking, and she's and it says in verse thirty eight. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. She's basically saying what Isaiah six eight said. Then I said, here I am, send me. She was willing to do it. Are you willing to take up the call of the Lord and allow him to use you in a mighty way to change the world? Now, here's the thing. A lot of times we talk about, you know, being used in a mighty way. We think it has to be this huge elaborate thing. But the truth of the matter is, it doesn't. It can be one just minor thing. For Mary, it was literally just giving birth and raising a child. That's what she was going to do anyways. It just so happens that this one child of hers, was the savior of the world but people give birth all the time it was an ordinary thing it wasn't like an extraordinary thing for her to uh, have a pregnancy give birth and then raise a child and so we don't have to do these extraordinary things in order for God to use this us in a mighty way and really what I want to end with is the story of Billy Graham most of you probably know who Billy Graham is if you don't as of 2008 okay Billy Graham died in 2018 but as of 2008, Billy Graham's estimated lifetime audience, including radio and television broadcasts, topped 2.2 billion people. That means that approximately 2.2 billion people heard the gospel from Billy Graham's mouth by in his lifetime as of 2008. And we have an entire decade of him living past that. And his legacy continues on to tell other people about the gospel. So... It actually, uh, his, his story, his testimony is actually a series of events that can be traced over the years, and it honestly starts out with one volunteer Sunday school teacher, okay? So it was a Sunday school teacher that was just a volunteer, and uh, someone shared this story with me years ago, and it greatly impacted me, so I want to tell you about it, but there's this saying that says, you can, you can count the apples on a tree, but who can count the apples in a seed? And, go, um, and so what that means is, like, you can count all the apples on a tree and see that there's an apple. But how many apples will be made from one seed that is inside that apple? And uh, so it goes like this. This is the impact of a single person's influence in the life of us as believers. So there's this guy named Edward Kimball. All right, you probably never heard of him and probably never will. But rest assured, most people have never heard of him unless they knew him personally Kimball was a Sunday school teacher who not only prayed for the uh, prayed for boys in his class but also sought to win each one to the Lord personally he decided he would be intentional with every single last one of them and surely he thought about throwing in the towel because anytime you do ministry and especially do it with young boys uh, man it can be hard especially as they get distracted uh, parents of middle school boys elementary school boys you know what I'm talking about. Um, but if you've ever taught the Bible to young boys, you know that the experience can often be like herding cats. But one man in particular didn't seem to understand what the gospel was about. So this, this Sunday school teacher, Mr. Edward Kimball, went to the shoe store where this kid was stocking shelves and confronted him in the stockroom with the importance of a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Now that young man was Dwight L. Moody. Now, you've never maybe not have heard Dwight L. Moody, but we'll get there in a minute. But in that stock room on that Saturday, Dwight L. Moody believed the gospel and received Jesus Christ as a savior. Now, in his lifetime, in Dwight L. Moody's lifetime, Moody touched two continents for God with thousands professing Christ through his ministry. So on a Saturday, a volunteer Sunday school teacher decided to come see him at his place of work gave him the gospel said this is the importance of the of a life with christ moody gave his life to christ and then went on to be an evangelist and touched over two continents with thousands of people coming to know the lord through his ministry but see that's the story isn't in there it's actually where it begins so underneath dwight l moody another man's heart was touched for god his name was wilbur chapman now chapman became an evangelist who preached to, to thousands of people and one day a professional baseball player had uh, had a day off, and so he came and attended one of Chapman's meetings, and this guy's name was Billy Sunday, and Billy Sunday was converted and gave his life to the Lord. Sunday eventually quit playing baseball and became part of Chapman's team, and then Chapman uh, accepted a pastorate at a large church, and so Billy Sunday began his own evangelistic crusades and went out and told people about Christ. Now, another young man who was converted Uh, by these actions of Billy Sunday was a man by the name of Mordecai Ham. Now, when Ham came to Charlotte, North Carolina, um, it says that a lanky young man that was in high school vowed that he wouldn't go hear him preach. But Billy Frank, as he was called by his family, did eventually go. Now, this Billy Frank that we know is now known as Billy Graham. He said he wouldn't go, but he decided to go after all, and uh, eventually, Ham announced that he knew for a fact that a house of ill repute was located across the street from the high school and that a male students were skipping lunch at the high school to go visit this house. And so when, when the students decided to go to interrupt the meeting of Millic- Mordecai Ham, Billy Frank decided to go see what would happen. And so basically, a big group of these high school boys went over to try and ruin What Mordecai Ham was doing, trying to distract and cause issues over there because Mordecai Ham had called them out. Now Billy Frank decided he'd go over there to see what was happening. That night when Billy Frank went, he was intrigued by what he heard. Now he returned the next night and he responded that night to the invitation that that was given to him and he was converted. Billy Frank eventually became known as Billy Graham the Evangelist who has preached to more people than any other person who has ever lived, including the Apostle Paul. Now, that's what's amazing to me, is that the entire story of Billy Graham coming to know the Lord and the impact as of 2008 of 2.2 billion people hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ all started because of one Sunday school teacher many, 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 many years before Billy Graham was probably even born. One Sunday school teacher decided, you know what? I'm gonna make it a point to be intentional with this young man and go tell him about Jesus. It's not extraordinary. It was just somebody that saw an opportunity and God used it in a mighty way and because of that faithfulness, 2.2 billion people have now heard the name of Christ because of a simple act. So let me ask you again, do you think God can use you in a mighty way? What do you think you could do today in order that might set a trajectory of things to happen that could possibly change the world? Y'all stay humble, stay focused, keep pressing on. Parents, keep talking to your kids, keep challenging them and ask them these questions. Do you think that God can use you in a mighty way? Parents, do you think God can use you in a mighty way? Maybe raising your kids inside the word of God and teaching them what it means to daily follow Jesus? We'll one day raise up another Billy Graham that will change the world. Y'all have a great day. We'll see you next week.